The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Autism Live. It's a great day to be here with us because we are live and look who we have. We have Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet. So excited to have her here with us this morning. Uh, I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live. It is Wednesday, July 29th. Uh, so excited to be here with you guys. So we're going to be live for the next hour with Dr. Grand Pichet. She's going to be answering your questions. I want to give you a quick rundown of how you can connect with us. Right now, you can be with us live at www.autism-live.com. Uh, you can be watching us live there. You can also um, comment in the comment section on that site. But you can also be watching us live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Periscope, and on Twitter. We're live in all those places. And in particular, I know there are a lot of you that write in questions on YouTube and Facebook. We can see them. There is a little bit of a delay, so make sure you put in your questions early, right? Go ahead and start writing in your question right now. By the way, later on, you can still watch us in all of those places recorded, but then we podcast to iTunes, Deezer, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, all of those places. And we have a couple of new places that are coming up in the coming months where we're going to be uh, podcasting to as well. If there is some place that you like to listen to your podcast and we are not available there, please bring it to our attention because we love to make it available to everyone. It is free, by the way, in all of those places. We are a free download on iTunes and you get to choose whether on iTunes, whether you want it with picture and sound or if you just want the sound. Take us on a hike, take us on a road trip. Um, we're happy to go with you, right? Uh, we have well over, uh, well, I mean, it's, I, I think this month marks the ninth, we are celebrating a nine year anniversary of doing a show in this format. How's that? Um, so there are thousands of videos for you to watch on uh, YouTube, or you can watch them on our homepage. Uh, so check those out and write in the questions that you have about anything that you've seen or that you would like to see. We love to hear from you. So I mentioned that Dr. Grand Pichet is here and she's here to answer your questions. She is an amazing expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism. She has been working in this field for 20 years. Uh, I don't like to tell on her. I know she's proud of it, but like then people go, oh, you must be older than we think you are. Um, and so, and I, you know, so, and that's not necessarily a bad thing either. So I don't know why I'm putting my stuff on it, but mm -hmm. she's an expert in this field has worked with up, you know, from small babies up through senior citizens on the autism spectrum, uh, founded the center for autism and related disorders and founded the wonderful charity that we love autism care today. So she's answering your questions. We do have to give you the disclaimer. I am going to let her talk in a minute. I feel like I'm on a car sales commercial. I'm going so fast. <laughs> Um, but we do have to give you the disclaimer that there is no expert in, in any field that could give individual specific advice in this format. It just doesn't work that way. So please write in your questions. Um, remember that they can't, she can't give you an individual specific advance, answer, but please be as specific as possible in what you write in so that gives her as much information. I always like it when you include the closest major city to you. We don't want your home address. Please don't be mistaken. But if you tell me you live in St. Louis, the answer that we're going to give you is different than the answer we're going to give you if you live in Philadelphia, because the resources aren't the same. Uh, wish they were. Wish it was one size fits all, but it's not. So there we go. Having said all that, welcome, Dr. Grand Pichet. Thank you very much, Shannon, and good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back and looking forward to answering as many questions as we can today. 
Let's whip through them. I want to start with some that I promised that we would get to. Uh, my daughter will have outbursts, outbursts of aggression behaviors with attacking or scratching. What could be the cause? Right. So for many of our viewers, as you know, um, with every child has a different thing that's going on. And <clears throat> as behavior analysts, the very, very first thing we have to do when we have a behavior that is challenging is to ask ourselves, what is the function? And uh, so in this case, it could be a lot of different things. And until we know why uh, she's doing those particular behaviors, we really can't address how to change them, how to reduce them, how to replace them. Um, the idea is to figure out what is the function? Why is she doing those things? And then to replace uh, the, the behavior with something more appropriate. Um, I want to say, Dr. Grampichet, I want you to know that this parent um, has a great supervisor and is working with a great ABA team. Um, so, because sometimes we get a question like that and they don't have an ABA team, but this person right. I know does. Right. So, and, and that's something really important because you can easily just contact your supervisor and say, I'm very concerned about this particular behavior. And your supervisor will then conduct what's called an FBA, a functional behavior assessment. And they will try to figure out what your child is trying to communicate. Because remember all of the challenging behaviors and all of the sort of self-stimulatory types of behaviors or scratching, whatever it might be, there's a reason, right? So our kids do these things either for some reason. And it's super important to find out what that reason is because if you don't know what the reason is and you just prevent the behavior, it's gonna come back in some other form. So uh, I, I think the best uh, course of action here would be to, to uh, ask your supervisor to conduct an FBA on this behavior, and then uh, they should be able to intervene and help you and give you an answer. And I'm happy to kind of um, validate, let's say, their their treatment plan. If you uh, talk to your supervisor and get a plan, then you can always come back to us. You can email Shannon, and we will be happy to take a look at the plan and say yes or no, this is the right thing to do. Okay, I also wanna say uh, for our CARD parents that are watching, some of you know that um, CARD is the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. That's where my son was treated. It's the place that uh, Dr. Grampichet founded. Incredible quality ABA, the top of the line, the best. Um, for our CARD parents, um, I do nightly meetings. Um, and tonight I'm doing an orientation about something that's very unique to CARD called car caregiver collaboration. It's an ideal time to talk about these kinds of things. If you are a card parent, join us tonight. Look at your email to see the invite for me. It's invite only, uh, where we're gonna be talking about how you utilize that time with your supervisor to answer questions like this. So just wanna put that out there. Um, next question, can card provide services in a school setting if the district will pay for it? Yeah, absolutely. And we've been doing that for a long time and many years and uh, we've contracts already, master contracts with I think the majority of the districts in the country. Um, and yeah, so it's right now, I'm not sure how that would work because a lot of schools are out of session or not physically open. Uh, but in general, what happens of course, is that the district uh, classifies, uh, we are what's called a non-public agency. Uh, that gives us the ability to receive funds from school districts and department of education. So the district then holds an IEP with your child, with you. And um, <clears throat> if it's determined that your child needs a little bit of support, for instance, which falls under the category of related services, um, that's where we come in. And the support can be all kinds of stuff. It could be uh, having an in-class aid just for your child. And that could be one of our folks. And that's probably the most common um, where we have a, one of our BTs, one of our behavior technicians in the school, in the classroom with your child, specifically there for a variety of purposes that are written in the IEP. 
uh, either to help uh, increase social behavior or to help the child pay attention or to keep up academically, whatever it might be. Um, and then, and, and there are other things too. For instance, sometimes districts will contract with CARD to get a BCBA to go in and help provide programming and treatment plans or behavior intervention plans for a bunch of kids. So we have all kinds of relationships with districts and we're happy to help uh, whatever they allow us to go in. Wonderful. And I want to make sure everybody knows that if you have specific legal questions, Bonnie Yates is with us on Monday and she has asked for specific legal questions dealing with the school district, what they're giving you, what they're saying to you, so on and so forth. That's for Monday. Write those in to us as well and I'll, I'll bank those for her for Monday. Uh, okay, next question. My son is nonverbal with autism and ADHD diagnosis. Uh, no aggressive behaviors, but he stims a lot, especially his hands and twists his fingers a lot. How can we help him? Um, yeah, so these are, I wish I, you know, it's hard for me to answer these questions because I never know really what the function is. So um, it's, it's a little bit more complicated when you have both ADHD and autism because the child is very inattentive and might even be hyperactive. I'm not even sure what type of ADHD could also be combined that, where you have both, but um, I'm just trying to envision the, the type of child or what the child is experiencing. Um, uh, twisting fingers or wringing their hands or doing things like this could also be related to ADHD medication. So uh, maybe this parent can write in and give us a little bit more information because the medication uh, for ADHD is uh, our stimulants, right? Adderall, Ritalin, et cetera. And these types of medications generally uh, will increase your heart rate a little bit and they, they produce these types of behaviors. So um, I wonder if the child had these behaviors prior to being, I wonder if the child's even on ADHD behavior, um, medication. And if he or she is, then the question is, did these behaviors exist before that? If they did not, then I would probably go and talk to the physician and ask for a drug holiday. So take the child off the medication for a period of time and see if the behavior goes away. If they did exist and have nothing at all to do with the medication, then you would have to do again a functional behavior assessment and figure out uh, what are the times specifically does the child do these behaviors more when they're excited, anxious, uh, when a demand has been placed, um, is the child trying to get out of an activity, is the child doing this to self-soothe. I mean, there's a million different reasons. And, and that is kind of where a good behavior analyst can come in and do an FBA. Um, if and you and this, have, this person also has a really good right. BCBA. Great, great. Because, you know, for people out there, Shannon, as you know, if you have a BCBA and they can do a, a good functional behavior assessment for you, you're good to go. If you don't, uh, one of the things we built for families uh, is called the indirect functional assessments, and uh, it's called the CARD indirect functional assessment, CIFA. And we put this on our skills website. So if you guys go to uh, skillsforautism.com, uh, there should be an ability, you should have the ability to access the CIFA, C-I-F-A, Hopefully it's still there, right, Shannon? And oh, that it's is definitely what, still there. Yeah, and there's a series of questions. That is an indirect assessment. So it basically goes, it doesn't work directly with the child. It goes through you as the parent. And it'll ask you a bunch of questions about the behavior and it'll help you identify the function. Like why is the behavior happening? And when you know the function, then that information goes into a BIP, which also exists there. We have another tool called the BIP Builder. And then that helps you. BIP stands for Behavior Intervention Plan. So you kind of need to understand the reason, the function, then that feeds into a behavior intervention plan. 
And then a treatment plan, that's the treatment plan, is based on that function, the reason. So without the knowing what the function is, it's very hard to give a treatment plan because uh, behaviors could have different reasons and you don't wanna uh, uh, deal with each behavior in a way that it, it might, it'll cause a lot of confusion and we might be uh, taking away re rewards that unnecessarily or we won't be effective until we know the function. Okay, since you brought up um, skills, I have a message from skills and IBT that I want to tell everybody. I want to encourage everybody to get a pen and paper ready or get a place on your phone where you can write down notes for a quick second. Uh, so skills is the wonderful curriculum that Dr. Grampy-Shea is talking about. And IBT is a website. It's ibehavioraltraining.com where you can learn all kinds of things about how to interact with your kiddos. They've got a lot of free stuff for you right now. They are continuing to offer their um, registered behavior technician 2.0 trainings to parents uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. If you will call them um, they and, and talk to them about why you would like to take the same training that therapists take, um, they're willing to give that to many parents for free on a case-by-case -case basis. There's a phone number to call to get that. The phone number is 877 9754559 so if you're like i want to know everything that my therapists know that are registered behavior technicians uh, i want to understand what they're doing and you know normally there's a cost for that it would be around $440 if i'm not mistaken and they're giving away to parents if parents are motivated and say that they're going to do the training you got to call that number 8779754559 they are also giving away um, their parent trainings. If you missed it during the summer, they offered different parent trainings um, for free. They're offering the full parent training uh, for parents at no cost if you are interested and want to do the training. They're video trainings and they're amazing. And that's that same number, 877-975-4559. That deal is not going to last much longer. So if you missed out on those free trainings, get on that right now. They are also offering weekly free trainings for educators. Now, you might be an educator, and if we're all home with our kids this fall, we're all going to be educators, right? But you may also want to um, get this for a teacher that you know or tell them about it. Um, what they want to do is go to the IBT website, which is ibehavioraltraining.com. You want to click on educators and follow that down until you go to useful strategies. Uh, those are available at no cost. You need to put in the promo code COVID, all capitals, C-O-V-I-D hyphen 19. Or if you have trouble with that, you can use the same number and call them 877-975-4559. So that is uh, what I wanted to let you guys know about that. Dr. Gravishay, I want to move over to some questions that have come in live. There's one uh, parent who has written in a small novel. Uh, and but it's good and I appreciate because we always say give us lots of details so she said hi I'm a skills user and a big fan of Dr. Grampy aren't we all but welcome and they okay. said so excited to be able to ask a question during the live streaming hopefully my question can get picked I'm picking it but it's got several components to it my boy is 20 years old with language ability around four years old he's not very responsive to his environment in the natural setting when parents, therapists ask him questions such as, what are you watching? What time is it now, et cetera? He knows the answer. He is able to answer properly most of the time in the natural setting. However, when his younger sister, aunt, uncles, neighbors, friends, or parents ask him the same question uh, and reward him uh, later, I think I might've missed part of it, Traven, and reward him later based on the number of clicks. So I think there's something there that I missed. Uh, this doesn't result in change and he tends to click all over the place. Do you have good suggestions? Traven, I think I'm missing a piece of what you, you sent me. Shannon, can you read that again when, when people uh, reward him from there on? I think there's a section missing. So uh, I think what, what she started to say here, when his younger sister, aunt, uncles, neighbors, friends, or parents ask him questions, yeah. and then it got cut off and where it picks back up, Traven, is it says, and rewards him later based on number of clicks. 
So I think something got cut off, Draven. It's like the most important part. Anyway, she does say, um, as soon as his therapist walks into the environment and has his younger sister ask him again, he usually will respond to the younger sister. So I think when other people are asking, he's not responding. Uh, we, she says, we've tried a token system and given him a token every time he responds properly to other people's questions in the natural setting. But this requires the therapist to be there with him. And during the time the therapist is not there, his responsiveness remains problematic. To fix this, uh, yeah. okay, I see it's mixed up. To fix this, we also have tried a self-monitoring strategy and given him a counter and allow him to click for himself every time he responds to others even when a therapist or parent aren't there and rewards himself later based on the number of clicks. This doesn't result in a significant change and he tends to click all over the place. Do you have any good suggestions? Okay, I think we got it. Yeah. Do, you, do you have it? I think I understand the gist yeah, of it. Yeah, I, I sort of get the gist of it, I think. Um, I have a couple of suggestions here, not knowing this young man. Um, I, I don't know if, so uh, using a counter to like a clicker to reward, whether he's doing it himself or someone else is doing it, uh, just increases the number of utterances. It doesn't increase the quality um, or the content. It just it doesn't improve what he's saying. It just increases the utterances. So assuming that he would have memorized a few responses, things like, what's your name? Uh, you know, how are you? How old are you? Standard responses. Um, those are things that he might be responding to. If his language level is four, year, four years old, I think we shouldn't be focusing necessarily right now on just increasing his responses. Having said that, I mean, there's another issue here as well. So I'm kind of First thing is that what you're telling me is that your therapist gets better response level than everybody else. So that first needs to be fixed and that's an easy thing. That's basically just the therapist spending more time with everyone else and then fading themselves out. Um, the therapist should be able to do that. Um, you know, the therapist starts by giving the, the instruction or the question and he re, uh, responds and then have the younger sister, let's say reward him instead of the therapist. Then the next step is the therapist, uh, let's say says part of the question or is just present and helps the younger sister, but the younger sister says the question and gives the reward. Um, and the therapist gradually then removes himself from the room. So it's a process. It doesn't happen in one or two uh, takes. It essentially takes a while for the therapist to uh, classically condition to the other people and then leave. And, and the bottom line is, what was the therapist doing that made the therapist an effective discriminative stimulus, but nobody else's? And the answer to that is probably the therapist had more consistent um, interaction or had spent a lot more time with him, working on these things with him. So he realized that when the therapist is here, I have to respond. And when other people are here, they don't really force me to respond. That's, that's pretty common. Um, so you just need to make sure that other people, the younger sister, cousins, whoever else is in his environment, are exactly following the same procedures that the therapist was and that the therapist is present, but gradually not helping as much, but fading themselves out of the picture. Um, that's the first thing. But the second thing is the content of what you're doing. I'm not sure having him increase his utterances with using a counter is the most important thing for this young man right now. I think you should probably reevaluate um, kind of, and, and you can do this also through skills. I was going to say you should reevaluate what the content, what's the most important content for him right now? What are, what are your goals for him? over the, on the bigger picture type of thing. And we do have a skills program, which is for adolescents and adults. And you, if you go in there and answer a lot of questions, 
it will help you identify a really, really good overall treatment plan that's not just language. Because when you're 20, language is very important. And by the way, you know, you could also assist his communication by giving him a visual format to communicate with language, even though he has four-year-old level speech. If he was to see the written word, as in typing, keyboarding, or reading, writing, it might help increase his utterances. It might help increase uh, also the, just the quality of his response and the amount, the length, the, the detail in his response. All of that uh, is a lot easier to teach when you're using uh, letters, uh, a visual stimulus or a prompt. So that's another direction that your therapist can go. But I really truly feel that there are other things that you should be looking at as well. For instance, uh, and, and maybe you are, uh, you know, things like, does he dress himself, groom himself? Uh, is he safe? Does he know what is safe and is not safe? Does he have any particular interests, both in the uh, area of vocational or uh, leisure? And uh, both of those could be expanded on so that he has activities that he can do to stimulate his mind when he's alone. Um, and also that he learns a type of job or vocation as it could be something very simple, but it would be something that would give him gratification um, and uh, help him feel he has succeeded. Um, those are very important areas feeding himself, meal preparation, shopping for food. I mean, there's, there's a million things that would help make him independent, even if his vocal language remained at a four-year level. Um, those other things could still continue to develop. And I'm always, um, I always feel very strongly about helping uh, give some level of independence or autonomy to our adults. Um, and, and language, when, it, when there's such a huge uh, difference in the chronological age and the, and the mental age, so if the individual is 20 years old and, and his language level is at a four-year level, I, I have a, a little bit of a peace of mind that at least he has an adequate level of language to express things like uh, when he's in pain, or um, just when he needs something desperately, those types of things, man's, are, are the most important. And those are, if the, as long as he's able to express those, the next kind of boost to his desire to communicate becomes much more uh, an internal motivation, um, which actually, honestly, I've found with a lot of our adults, uh, they're very motivated to socialize. They're very motivated to interact, not necessarily answering questions, uh, but you know, just sharing some object or item or activity or something that they like to do or that they like to talk about. So um, I think it would be beneficial if you were able to go on skills. I think it's called skills uh, living. That's exactly what it's called. Yes. Yeah. Skills living. Skills living. And once you go on there, uh, you'll answer a lot of questions and it'll help you develop a really broad program for him across all the different areas. Language certainly being one of them. And it might even give you a lot of feedback in regards to how to help expedite the language a little bit, but other areas. So social and vocational and adaptive and self-help. I mean, there's a million different areas to be looking at. So if you want to know more about skills living, and that is for individuals that are 14 years and older, and it doesn't matter like what the skill level is because they go back to, um, you know, the earliest skill level, uh, you can call that same number, 877-975-4559. I just want to reiterate too that you know, there's always some good news in these things, even when we're are like, you know, I'm sure it's disheartening to you that he can do it with the therapist, but he can't do it with his sister and um, that that weighs on us as parents. But I want to point out the good news. It means he can do it. That's right. He absolutely can do it. And that 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 should give you some peace of mind. And now 
now the people in your family have to learn how to set up the contingencies. It also means that he's got a lot on the ball. Because if you think about it, there's a lesson in skills about, it, basically it's not called that, but it's about reading your audience, reading the room, that you don't say the same thing to your seven-year-old friend that you say to your grandmother, right? Your grandmother has different interests. He's already doing that a little bit because he knows I can't get away with that with a therapist, but I can get away with that with my sister. Um, and if you think about it, we all do that to some extent, of right? Course, of course. I have a friend that, uh, you know, I give terrible directions. I'm the worst person in the world to give directions because I give directions the way my brain thinks. And I'm like, okay, you go down the street and there's that gas station that's all orange and you turn left at the gas station that's all orange. And I have one friend who just stops me and goes, what on earth are you saying? What is the name of the street? And I go, I don't know, but I know that if I'm gonna give her directions, I can't get away with what I normally do to people. And people generally wanna kill me when I give them directions. <laughs> it's just so annoying. She's like, how can anyone, you're like, you know, turn left at the cactus, the house with the big cactus. What are you talking about? Right, but I know I can't get away with that with her. For her, I gotta like look it up and know what the streets are. Your right. son knows that he can get away with that with family members. So they just need to get better, go to IBT so that they can get better and have your therapist train them too. And he will be able to do it. And that's the good news. Okay, I gotta, I gotta uh, get to this dad. He says, hello, Dr. Doreen. I'm a father of a seven-year-old autistic boy who coming from the Middle East as a new immigrant to the States. My son can speak a sentence of three or four words, but in Arabic. Is it possible to provide him with an RBT who can speak Arabic in the autism center that he will be going to? My son knows only Arabic and I'm afraid he might lose what he gained of language. Please advise. I love this question. Yeah, absolutely. So I would suggest, first of all, yes, it's possible there. I, I don't know um, if this parent is with CARD or with other, uh, another company. I know at CARD, we have some Arabic speaking uh, RBTs or behavior techs. You don't need an RBT. You just need a well-trained behavior tech, uh, technician. Um, RBT is a certificate, um, you guys, and it's a higher level certificate that you get uh, it involves more training and a national exam and all that sort of stuff. A lot of our first year uh, behavior techs don't have the RBT. They don't need to have it. Uh, three, uh, only three insurance companies in the country require it right now. So uh, a lot of our people do have it, uh, and, but you don't need that. Uh, finding someone who speaks Arabic is going to be hard enough. So I recommend that you kind of uh, look at anyone who's a behavior tech who speaks Arabic. So that is possible. But the more important thing is, are you planning to live here? Or are you planning to go back to an Arabic country? Um, because it, it all has to do with what are, you, what are your long-term plans? If you're staying in the United States, then I would not necessarily at this point continue teaching him in Arabic because he needs to live and function here. So um, a lot of times it becomes uh, important to switch over. It's not going to be very hard to switch over, but it will be uh, one language at first. Teaching two languages at the same time will delay language, will delay the development of speech, no question about it. That's also in typically developing kids. When you're bilingual, you develop speech and language later. So uh, I wouldn't do two languages. I would pick the location, the country, where are you going to be living at least for the next seven years old right now. If you're gonna be living here for at least the next year or two, I would switch over to English. Um, and then later on, you can always pair back with Arabic if you need to. But if you teach him in Arabic right now, he won't be able to function here. He won't be able to communicate with people. Okay, so there's a lot of information for you there. Uh, okay, we've got another question here. What do you think about an inclusion program? I've been thinking about starting a nonprofit business, start up a school where neurotypical kids can also attend with autistic kids with the help of professionals, teachers, and therapists. 
No, I love it. And that's the ideal. And Shannon, as you know, it's our, it's the dream of every parent and I love it. And, uh, you know, I'd be happy to advise and help however I can. We, there's a couple of obstacles that you'll encounter. Um, first of all, I, I don't know what state you're in. The funding for schools is very strange in this country. There are certain states where you get really, really good funding and then other states where you get barely any funding. So uh, uh, there are some states like California, for example, where you're not, it's, it's almost impossible to open a charter school nowadays and also public school funding is really limited. So, um, so you'd end up opening a private school. And if you open a private school, you have a lot more freedom but you also have, you know, a lot of parents won't be able to pay the private tuition, obviously. So that's kind of part of the problem. Um, the, the idea of having full, like having a, a lot of typically developing kids there is a beautiful idea. The problem is that the parents of a lot of typically developing kids don't want their kids uh, in a school where there's, you know, half of the other children have a, a disability. Um, it's an unfortunate truth. We tried this numerous times and it's very difficult to get parents to bring their typical kids to a program uh, where their typical kids don't have, uh, you know, the ability to model more advanced behavior, I guess. So that is an issue. You'll have a problem there. Um, we even thought of having parents who have multiple kids, right? Bring their peers, their, their siblings to the school. And that is more possible, but then you have age differentiation. So the siblings are not necessarily the same age or uh, you, you could make it work with siblings if you were able to do that. So funding and then after that sort of, uh, you know, attracting the typical kids um, and beyond that, yeah, I think you could do a tr tremendous job. Uh, you could have individualized education. Uh, it would be amazing. Okay, and I, I just want to throw in there that um, there are two shining examples of places that are that are doing this. Uh, one is here in Los Angeles, and it's called Chime, and you can look into it. They only go up to eighth grade, um, and the waiting list to get into Chime is it's crazy. It's a lottery. And it literally is like winning the lottery. I have watched probably 150 parents try to get their kids and not be able to get them in. Um, but I know people who had kids in and it's incredible, incredible, incredible school. The other one is up in the San Francisco area and it's called Hope Tech. And they used to just be, it's funny, they started and they were like K through four. And then they had kids that were going to graduate and the parents were like, uh, can you put a fifth grade on? And then now they go up through 12th grade. Uh, and I've, thre I've threatened a time or three to move up there because I think what they do is so great. And, and now because they, they have that, they've reached that point where the community knows um, people with neurotypical kids fight to get their kids in there. They've had Rhodes Scholars come out of that school. It's brilliant. It's right. brilliant. And, and, right. and somebody wrote in and said, you know, obviously we need to spread awareness on this issue and it's absolutely yeah. true. Yes, a lot of people are like, why would I want my child to go to a school where there's kids who, you know, yeah. like ignorant, it's ignorant. Um, we do need to spread yep. awareness. Yep. But these people at these schools, man, they fight for their kids to be in there. And part of it is, part of the reason why they fight to get their kids in there in the beginning is that they're smaller class size, which we yeah. should all be fighting for no matter where our kids are um, on whatever spectrum there is. And, and uh, okay. if I'm not wrong, Chime at least uh, was a charter school. Oh yeah. And, yeah, and I don't know about Hope Tech, but it's pretty impossible right now to open a charter school in California anymore. Yeah. In no, the, the old the, days, it was a different game. I wish I had done it like 20 years ago, but it is really, it's pretty frozen in time. Yeah, it's, it's a mess right now in California. That is for sure. Hopefully things will change in the future. Uh, okay, so I, I want to say that the mom who wrote in about the 20 year old boy said thank you very much for answering the question very helpful and there's like um, seven exclamation points. So we love that. Uh, I also got to give a shout out here to Jacinda, 
who wrote in and said, thank you so much. I changed my ABA team because you guys educated me to observe if the team is effective. Now I have a new team and my boys have improved tremendously. Thank you so much. And we are loving you. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, I believe diet is so important. Super fresh fruits and vegetables, no fluoride, no GMOs, no corn syrup. If you only stock good food, eventually they will get hungry enough to eat it. And they mm -hmm. sent some lovely emojis. And I love that. Um, yes, I, we were talking about this yesterday that, um, you know, we don't know a whole lot of things, but we do know that if there's pesticides in your child's diet, you are more likely to see behaviors of inattention and ADHD-like behaviors. So getting good food into your child, I think should be on everybody's agenda. And I know Dr. Grampichet, you're pretty adamant about that diet does. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, big uh, proponent of that. And I, I'm really, really concerned with the food quality in, in the US. In fact, just this morning, Shannon, I was talking to a friend of mine and we're going to be growing uh, all kinds of foods, fruits and vegetables in my backyard because honestly, it's just impossible nowadays to get anything that's real anymore, so. Well, we have to have a conversation because earlier this summer, I think I shared on the show that I had dug up part of my yard and plant a garden and I had no, I, like it is a jungle in my front yard Mm -hmm. And, um, but now somebody has told me that I need to test the soil to make sure that it was okay to grow vegetables in it before. Right. And I, and I could feed the neighborhood right now with, I have, I have a squash that I'm not kidding you is this big in my yard oh, right nice. now. I have things hanging off the fence. People, it was supposed to be sort of a shield from the community because our yard is right there and we're right there and for our dog. And, and instead the neighborhood comes and stands at our fence and is like, what's that? Is no that way. this kind of squash? That's so cool. and, and I'm like, get a mask on and I'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's going. Uh, yeah, it's crazy craziness. So, and now I'm trying to find somebody who will test the soil for me. So uh, you probably, your person probably knows this. So we'll have to have a conversation. Uh, but I can't even believe how much grew. It's insane. Uh, yeah. Like the things I have in my front yard right now. Uh, okay, so somebody wrote in, and I try to be careful about not using people's names, but they say that they're from Southeast Portland. They say, I'm a PSW. I don't know what a PSW is. They say, I'm a PSW for a 16-year-old. His parents think I'd be a better teacher than school. They are pulling him out this fall. Any advice on teaching him to read? Should I teach him the alphabet or match words to preferred items? Dot, dot, dot. Thank you. I don't know what PSW is, but SW could be social worker. Okay. Um, so maybe they can tell us. But uh, yeah, I would I would recommend again skills because we have a whole uh, academic curriculum in skills, and that is the place to start. And I love the way that we do it in skills because it's yeah. They say personal support worker. They're oh, also okay. a behavior therapist. And apparently he, uh, this individual sent you a gut health uh, book for Christmas and they want to know if you got it. Uh. <coughs> I don't know if I did. Maybe I did in the office. Um, I would, well, first of all, let me thank you ahead of time in case I did because uh, Christmas and as you know, Shannon, January... Uh, was a very kind of chaotic. There was a There's lot a going lot. on because I was retiring, um, and from from being the CEO of Card. So uh, it is very possible that you did, and I will thank you if I didn't thank you in person. I want to thank you now, um, and I I I think I actually know who this is now that you mention it. Uh, yes, of course. This is one of this is one of our behavior texts, I believe. And so I'm um, hi, and yes, of course. <laughs> and you should be. I was trying not to be specific because you know. Yeah. Uh, you should look on. You should definitely look at skills because there is a really cool academic portion. We usually when we do ABA with our kids, we don't give access to the academic portion because uh, we're being paid by health insurance and health insurance doesn't allow us to do academic work. 
So um, you should go on skills and take a look at the academic curriculum and you'll know skills pretty well. So you'll love it. It's, it's an awesome way to teach um, all the different aspects of reading and writing and all of that. Okay. And so uh, follow along with skills to do that. Okay. I'm going to switch back over uh, to questions. What can be done for a student who does not talk a lot in session? He can often sit with a blank look on his face, even when presented with questions he knows the answer to. When we allow him to escape the behavior, um, did, it did not get more frequent. When we gave it attention, it, it also did not change the rates. The only difference we see is over time. After several months with the same behavior tech, he speaks more. Is there any way to increase his speaking behavior without waiting it out? Yeah, so the, the, the that what he's doing is not necessarily to get attention or anything like that. He's just simply delaying the demand. Um, it's like a, it's similar to a child where you just a typically developing kid that you say, hey, it's time to go take a bath and they uh, negotiate or they run off or whatever it is, or they act silly. And the whole thing delays the bath because maybe they don't want to take a bath. They'd rather do what they were doing. So um, you need to, your, your therapist or you need to reinforce, uh, you need to shape the, the latency, the durate, the how fast he responds. That's called latency. So it's like you, from the time you give the instruction to the time he responds, there's a base, you measure that time. Um, and let's say right now he's taken a long time because he has this blank look on his face and he takes a really long time. Whatever that is, uh, you basically will now set a timer and all you have to do is reward all attempts where he responds faster than that baseline. So let's say the current baseline is like he takes 30 seconds, okay? Um, Any time in the going forward from that you're practicing that he responds with less than 30 seconds within that period of time, you reward it. If he responds 30 seconds or longer, you don't reward it. And that's really as simple as it gets. And then you get to whatever the new baseline is. Like over time, he will start responding at 28 seconds just because you're rewarding that. And then that becomes your new baseline. And from there on now, every time he responds to anything faster than 28 seconds, you'll now reward that and not reward 28 seconds. So this is this gradual shaping where you're reducing the latency, right? In the meantime, you just need to be careful that all of your instructions or demands or questions are easy uh, because you don't want to have, it would be confounding, it would be a conflict if you're trying to speed up his response, but you're giving him difficult things. So it's got to be easy things where he actually, we're not dealing with the difficulty factor, we're just dealing with the speed of response. Okay, yeah. The person who wrote in about the no GMOs, no corn syrup and good food um, said, you know, now we just need to um, spread awareness, no pharmaceutical cover-up drugs. I just want to make sure we had Lisa Ackerman on the show yesterday and she gave information about um, normally they do their conference in the fall and it's three days and people go to it. Um, That's not going to happen this fall. So instead they're doing an online virtual conference Uh, It's every day in the month of October from the 1st to the 31st with speakers every day. Um, You can start and stop the speakers, their videos. And then there are specific times when you can go to a a specific uh, Facebook chat to talk with the speaker and have your questions answered and meet with other caregivers and other siblings and other individuals on the spectrum. It's 31 days. A lot of it is about biomedical and environmental and diet, but it isn't by any means, all of it. There's some that's eight, there's an ABA track. Uh, there's a biomedical track. There's a health track. I, there's all kinds of things. And today only there's a pre-registration for the entire month of seminars and groups. Um, it's a crazy low number. Are you ready for this? It's $25 for the entire month. Um, but isn't that crazy? Like I said, that's insane. Um, but it's only today. If you go to do it tomorrow, it'll be $49, which is also insane. 
but I would rather see you do it today, sign up for it today. Um, there is a place when you sign up that if you would like to, if, if you have the funds, um, you can scholarship somebody else, that you can donate another $25 or more for somebody else to go. Um, and I was very grateful to be able to do that. Um, but if you are somebody who cannot afford the $25, because there have been times in my autism journey where I could not have gone for the price of $25. No, no shame, no harm, no foul. Apply for a scholarship because people like me gave money so that more of you could go to it. 31 days, uh, I said to her, like, that's my dream, Dr. Grampuchet, to do something. I mean, we do a version of that. I just it sounds so awesome. I just wrote it down because I don't know if yeah. I can because, you know, I have so much going on, but it just sounds like such a great refresher and I love listening to biomedical folks. So, yeah. um, and well, the great thing is, is that you can go in on any day. So let's say you're busy from yeah. the first to the fourth, and on the 15th, you go in and you go, oh, I want to see the talk that Dr. Kriegsman gave. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, you can fast forward, stop, pause, go put your child to bed watch yep. five minutes your child gets back up pause it again and but then you can find out which day doctor and i'm saying dr kriegsman i'm making that up but if he's one of the people you can see which date he's doing the live q a when you can ask questions so awesome. honestly i think that you know there's something that's to be said about doing uh getting to go to a conference yep. um but this is so much easier for those of you who are in the intensive part of intervention uh, they are also a big part of the regular TACA conference is their um, their exhibit hall with all the, the people. They're still doing the exhibit hall online so that you can go through and see people and click a thing and say, I'd like to talk to somebody from this organization, which I've never been able to do the exhibit hall for Autism Live, but I can do it that way. I absolutely can do this. I'm excited about it. Uh, so do people just go on the TACA website to register if they want to do that today? If you go to tacanow.org and click where at the top, it says a bunch of things, click on conferences. And there's a place where it says register. I already did it this morning because I didn't want to forget. Um, but you can register for it. I guarantee you there's something for everybody. And let's face it, if you bought a book about autism, you would have dropped $25. So, but if yeah, you can't okay. afford it, if you can't afford it, send, you know, tell them I'm, I'm looking for a scholarship. They know that there are going to be some of you who need them. And, um, and if you can afford it, give a scholarship. Uh, okay, so uh, where was I? There was another thing that I was going to address. Oh, for our person who wrote in and sent you the book, uh, apparently the book is called Gut and Psychology Syndrome for ADHD and Autism. He said, you are welcome. I hope you locate it because that's a book I'd like to read. And he said to you, thank you for everything that you do. And he said, thanks, girl. Um, Thank you. So there you go. Uh, I, there was no finger click. I put that in. Um, okay. Now, uh, somebody else wrote in and said some of the autism community believe in pharmaceuticals, and um, but not all. And I and I do want to make that point that nobody here is saying that you know there are some medications that are great and necessary and wonderful. It's just a matter of when do you use medication? When is it diet? When is it behavioral? Dr. Grampuchet, would you I, like to I agree with that, that Shannon. I, I fully agree with that. I mean, there are certain things that you can only really deal with with pharmaceutical. It, the thing about pharmaceutical medications or drugs is basically that they are um, not dealing necessarily with the symptoms. They're not dealing with what caused the problem. But you know, which is why it's important to be looking at nutrition or homeopathic, naturopathic things, because they do deal with kind of the, the cause, right? What caused it? But when you have symptoms that are, let's say, painful or, uh, you know, causing other types of irritations, then it helps uh, uh, to actually have medication that takes the pain away or medication that, that eases the anxiety, let's say. So I kind of support both, um, but I agree with you. A lot of times we uh, reduce the symptoms like pain and then don't deal with the cause. And that's not probably good either. Like it's really important to 
figure out if let's say someone has gastrointestinal pain and you go to see a, a, a Western medicine uh, GI doctor, gastroenterologist, they will basically give you medications that are going to reduce acid or increase uh, bowel movement or just reduce pain and reduce inflammation that way. But it isn't necessarily dealing with or figuring out what's causing the inflammation to begin with. And I'm a big uh, uh, supporter of looking at things from a causative way and just like, what is causing this symptom? Can I fix it at the very beginning so it never happens? Okay. If you saw me make a face and go, <laughs> it was because Traven just alerted me to the fact that there was a technical difficulty and he hadn't been sending the comments from Facebook and so many things just came in that my head spun. Uh, and we've only got five minutes. <laughs> Uh, so, but a lot of, I, what I love is that you started talking to each other on Facebook. I, I absolutely love it when you guys do that. Okay. What are the studies saying about the success of telehealth? It's been super successful at home, but don't know how to proceed for the fall. Seven-year-old son and ABA and speech and OT all online, including his summer uh, school and, and camp. We've learned so much about his therapy and his needs, and we are seeing such gains, but worried he will uh, say enough soon. And I did, for that parent, I want you to know that I did get your other message uh, that's a legal question for Bonnie that, um, that came in last night, and I'm putting that in for Bonnie. Uh, but what it, we've, we have some results from the telehealth, Dr. Grampichet, but I don't think quite yet all of it, but preliminarily, it, it, much better than we thought, isn't it? Or am I mistaken? Yeah, yeah. You know, the Shannon Nikki, my daughter, also did a complete uh, review of the literature and it's, she's submitted it for publication right now. So she reviewed every bit of uh, research that exists on telehealth right now for uh, autism. And basically, I think what it supports is a number of different things. One is that uh, uh, indirect uh, care, so things like training the parent or providing uh, programming information, what we call supervision. All of those things are very, very successful through telehealth. When it comes to actual direct therapy, there's very little research on it, but what we've seen so far is that depending on the functioning level of the child and depending on the reinforcers of the child, uh, telehealth can be successful. So if it's a child who has the ability to pay attention, let's say, or we can teach them, to pay attention to a screen for an extended period of time. That means they can receive reinforcers on the screen that are uh, adequate, that are interesting enough. Like, you know, there's just so much I can do on a screen to keep you interested. Um, but if, I, if that's enough, and if the child is able to uh, sit quietly and pay attention and receive instruction and carry out instruction, then it works. Um, and the other factor is that if you are, if the child can have someone who's a facilitator, so a parent or someone who can help the child by giving them reinforcer or by pointing um, to the screen, getting their attention on the screen, then telehealth works again. Um, for kids who are starting out and or are a little bit more severely uh, impacted by autism, a telehealth therapy can be very hard. Uh, so, but if it's working for your child, that's wonderful. And I suggest that you uh, try to continue some of it. Um, and you can even do a combined sort of some face-to-face -face and some telehealth. Okay, we're almost out of time here. I wanna to get to this comment. Um, somebody wrote in and said card with an exclamation point and put a little emoji with a halo. Uh, I saw my I saw my son benefit then regress with a company that had trouble keeping ABA therapists 10 years ago with a junior supervisor who was unkind and not client centered with my son and me as a mother. I lost faith in ABA until I subbed in an ABA preschool last year. The company individual leadership style of ABA is uh, delivery of ABA is crucial all in capital letters. I am now an ABA therapist in that classroom and thank you and I'm glad that you're loving card. Um, and then I'm going to squeeze this in. Is it normal for a six-year-old to only want to eat French fries? He will not eat home-cooked food at home. 
Um, I, Dr. Grambuchet, I know you probably have to go, but I'm going to stay on and just talk about um, a specific carbohydrate and how our kids sometimes will orient to, although I, you know, if you want to stay and talk about food selectivity, uh, that's up to you, but I know you probably no, no, I appreciate that, Shannon. Yeah, I have a call exactly at 11, but yeah, I'm sure you'll handle it. And I agree. It's like the uh, SCD diet is great. And also food selectivity is something very common. And I do recommend that you change it because it can get worse. There we go. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Stay, so stay with us, you guys, but we're going to say goodbye to Dr. Grampichet. Bye, we just, everyone. Just adore you. And it was so great to have you here Thank today. Thank you so Thank much. You Take so care. Bye-bye. 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 I just want to say that I think it's a very common thing that our kids um, get into one specific food and, and a type of food and even having it from a specific place. Um, we have a family that we talked to that their child can only have Burger King French fries, that he can taste the difference between Burger King and McDonald's and does, is not interested in having the McDonald's French fries. And so there's a couple of different things that I want to say to us all as caregivers of individuals who are on the autism spectrum. You know, we, we want to make sure that our kids are, first of all, safe and happy and alive, right? And sometimes we will opt for the short term because it's the thing that works. So I just want us all to give ourselves a hug for that and know that that's normal and that that's part of how we get to the point where they're like, no, I'm going to refuse everything else except French fries from this particular place or you could even make French fries at home and they're like, I'm not having those, right? Um, is because we chose, we didn't want them to starve, right? And so we fed them the thing that made them happy. It doesn't make us bad people, but at a certain point it becomes a problem and now we got to look at it and figure out something to do. Um, a lot of times we'll notice that kids are eating all the same thing and it's all the same color and it tends to be in the white yellow category um, because those are carbs. Um, for the kids that only will eat nachos or potato chips or potatoes or French fries, um, there was a period of time in which that's all my son would eat is chicken nuggets and French fries. That was it, right? And I was gleefully feeding them to him because at least he was eating, right? Because if I didn't give him that, he refused it. And no one here ever would advocate starving a child. This is, this is not what this is about. But if you're working with a good ABA provider, um, you can start to turn this around. There are statistics about the fact that you have to present a food some crazy amount of times, like 27 times before a child will even try it. And a lot of times we're like, well, I'm not going to make green beans 27 times and throw them in the trash 27 times. But you don't have to put a whole cup of green beans on the plate. You just have to put like two. And, you know, maybe it's that you get two green beans and you cook, you, you know, you don't, uh, you don't overcook them, never overcook vegetables for young kids because it creates an acid that responds with their taste buds, right? So just barely cooked um, and, you know, you put them on the plate and you don't say anything, you don't force them to eat them, you don't force them to try it, you just put them there and, and do it 27 times and supposedly a magical thing happens. I don't know. The thing that I know that works for sure is that you, you know, you take the thing that they love and you put just a little, 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 little bit of something else with it. So for French fries, if he loves the French fries from McDonald's, you know, even if it's like, I don't know whether he has ketchup on them or not, but even to get something else, like French fries from McDonald's are hard to add things to, but you can add like just, you know, stick the, you know, them in a, in a, a tomato sauce or something. Um, and he may be like, no, I'm not having that, but just, I mean, like the tiniest little speck so that you're introducing a new taste and, and maybe he'll refuse. Um, you want to make sure that he's still thriving and that he's still getting food. But we can, what we see is that I've seen people take chocolate and spinach and they, and they, kid loves chocolate uh, and so they'll make chocolate pudding and they put like the teeniest speck of spinach in it, right? And it has to be that the kid doesn't notice and the kid eats the chocolate pudding and you're like, okay, there was a speck of spinach in there. Then they put in a speck and a half of spinach until eventually, you know, it's half spinach and the kids eat it. And then when they put spinach differently, the kids will eat it because their taste buds have gotten used to it. Jerry Seinfeld's wife, wrote a whole cookbook about how to sneak vegetables into food, 
super hard if they're only going to be eating a French fry from another uh, place, which is why I want to talk to you about the specific carbohydrate. Under the direction of a doctor, there is a diet that's called the specific carbohydrate diet, which is when you try to break their addiction to these foods. It's a rough going. There is a book, I think it's called the, oh, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. It's something about how to bust. Oh, I'll find it. I'll find it. I apologize. I cannot remember it. But, um, but if you Google specific carbohydrate diet, you'll probably find it. It's got the word gut in it. Um, but it's a rough going and I wouldn't do it without a doctor, uh, being under, under a doctor's care, but it means kind of cold Turkey, taking it all away, but it's not just the French fries. It's all potatoes. It's pretty much all fruit, um, for a period of time. You got to watch your kid very closely with the doctor, because at a, at a certain point you you will see a change in behavior and your child will go into ketosis. We never want a child to stay in ketosis. I think it took 17 days with my child and it was an uncomfortable 17 days. Can I just say, like, I don't even mean to laugh because I want to cry. It was a hard, hard day because it, it got him free of yeast. It was rough. And there were a couple of days where, you know, I wasn't sure if he was going to eat. But as somebody said, if you stock your house with only healthy things, uh, most kids, I don't want to say all kids, will eventually get hungry and eat things that you never knew that they would eat. Um, they will. But for some kids who've got bigger issues, we just want to make sure that no child ever starves. Okay. Uh, I just want to say that there are tons more questions on here, but look up specific carbohydrate. And I apologize to all the, all of you. Oh my gosh. The number of questions we didn't get to. Um, if you want to, you can write to me s.penrod at autism hyphen live. Cause I, and I will try to go in later and give some answers and get some answers for some of these questions on Facebook. I've, I've, I've been tr running to keep up and I've not been keeping up lately because there have been so many questions. So, uh, but I do see somebody said, I worked in an inclusion program and it is a beautiful thing. It absolutely is. So, um, which uh, somebody wrote in and said, where do we find the info on the specific carbohydrate? Just Google specific carbohydrate diet and see what you can find out about that. But I will try to write in uh, answers to some of the things that you guys are writing in. Hey, we're back tomorrow with Evelyn Gould. She's going to be with us. And we're, she's a, a, like a regular from the show from way back when we started. She was one of the BCB VAs who helped us get started with the show and helped me with some of the jargon of the days that I make the most fun of. Uh, she is now Dr. Evelyn Gould. She left to become a doctor and she's an expert in the field of acceptance commitment therapy. And it's the cutting edge for parents and for individuals who are on the autism spectrum for us to deal with the feelings that we have about whatever so that we can get back to the work at hand. Um, so it's not a thing to, you know, put a panacea on the feelings. It's not a way to tell you to suck it up. It's a way to have us have actual a way to embrace the feelings, but keep moving. So, um, and be in less pain. So she's going to be with us tomorrow. You are not going to want to miss that until then give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.